For those of you who are here for the first time, maybe you're here for the baptism, let me just catch up on, on the series that we're starting today. From mid-May until uh, around mid-June, we ask uh, our, our folks, like, what, do you, what do you want answered? Or what questions do you have uh, about the Bible, about spiritual life, uh, from your past that maybe never got answered, never got answered sufficiently? And so for about a month, uh, we took questions uh, through through that link, and you, you, those of you who provided questions, you provided some wonderful questions. You provided some some challenging questions. Some of them are a little difficult. Uh, I'm trying to keep this series from becoming the series that Ken makes everybody mad answering their questions series. I, I'm gonna. I want to try to keep from losing like 80% of our members through this uh, series. But we're going to respond uh, to those questions. Before I get to the questions, I'm going to give a couple of disclaimers because, of course, I am. If you go to our church, you would expect that. Here, here's the first disclaimer. This one should be obvious. This is a three-week series. We always planned it to be a three-week series. It's three Sundays. There is no way I can get to all of the questions in three weeks just not possible uh the questions started kind of slow they kind of trickled in and then they picked up steam and then we got a whole bunch uh first of june middle of june we got a lot of questions <clears throat> and because we have so many questions and because i talk too much i can't get to all of them as a matter of fact as they were coming in i was kind of categorizing them putting them under headings and, and 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 then finally i said okay i can only get to this many and then i started answering those and i didn't even get to all of those so if your question doesn't get answered i'm sorry i tried maybe we'll come back we'll do this again some other time and i can get to more of those questions another disclaimer None of the messages are going to be about just one question. So if you thought you had the greatest question that deserved a full 30, 40 minutes, sorry. We're going to, I'm going to try to get to three or four questions every single week. This week, they're going to loosely fall under a topic. The next two weeks, they do not relate to one another at all. They are all over the map. And so this may, this may have the feel more of kind of a classroom or a lecture, not me lecturing you, but, but more of a classroom than a sermon type of feel, because I'm just going to say, all right, we're going to answer this question, and then we're going to be done with that question. We're going to answer this next question. That's kind of the way it's going to go. Another disclaimer, with the exception of two people, everyone submitted their questions anonymously. You cowards. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Look, we knew, we knew we had to give that option. If we were going to get more than two questions, we had to allow you to answer anonymously. There was one question that somebody submitted and attributed to a different person, but that's all been sorted like all, all parties are aware of that question. We're not going to answer that question. Um, but other than that, two people put their name to it, and that's fine. It's perfectly fine if you ask anonymously. But I need you to understand, if I answer your question and you ask it anonymously, I am not going after you with my answer because I don't know who you are. Right? If you perceive something 
to be passive aggressive I, 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 do, I don't intend it to be that way and if you perceive it to be that way and you're willing to identify yourself I'll be glad to have a follow up conversation with you but here's what you need to know I really don't know who asked the questions now that's challenging for me because I have no context with some of these questions and a little context would have been really nice with a couple of them Right. I, don't, I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what your history is, what your past is. I don't even know your connection to our church. Or if you go to our church, we put the link on our social media feed. Some of these questions could have come from people who don't even go to our church. I don't know. I really don't know. We don't have some sort of backdoor way for me to know who asked the question. We're not the FBI. We're not Facebook. We're not Siri. We're not listening in on you. I really don't know who asked the anonymous questions, so don't take it personally when I start answering your question uh, if you ask it anonymously. Now, related to that thought, if I misinterpret your question, if I misinterpret your question, which is possible, I'm happy to clarify if, if you'll identify yourself, right? if, we, if we can have a, a conversation. I did the best I could not knowing who asked it to try to try to narrow down what was being asked because here here was another challenge and another disclaimer every time i started answering a question there were 10 more questions that came out of that answer like every time you start an you, you've done this before every time you start answering a question there's a fork in the road and you got to decide, okay, am I, am I going to chase that or am, am I going to chase that? And then you chase one of those and there's another fork in the road. And am I going to chase that? Am I going to go? Okay. There was a lot of that over the last two months as I was trying to get ready for this series. I have tried to stick what I, with what I understood the intent of the question to be, realizing that some questions just necessitated a little more background digging in, okay? And this is why we're only going to get to about 10 questions, three today and four next week and maybe three or four uh, the final week because every question leads to another question, leads to something else I need to qualify and explain. Everybody ready? Okay, here we go. Uh, today... Uh, we're looking at um, a kind of a, a specific topic. There were three questions that related in some way to the afterlife, to heaven, to what happens when we die, and to who goes to heaven, that sort of idea. The broadest of those questions was simply, what is heaven like? Really broad question. I'm going to keep coming back to this one as I answer the other two throughout this morning. What is heaven like? Well, if you attended youth group in the 90s, you know that it's a big, big house <laughs> with lots and lots of rooms. There's a big, big table with... There's a big, big yard where we will play. Good, thank you. So... 90s contemporary Christian music answered that one for us. Moving on. <clears throat> okay, actually, songs like that are why we need to answer this question. <laughs> okay. Songs like that actually make this a little more difficult, but it also reveals the challenge that we have 
with this, with this question. There's just a lot we don't know. And, and because we're curious, because we want to know, we try to fill in the gaps, don't we? We try to fill in the gaps. And often we fill in the gaps with, well, what would I like? Heaven's going to be a great place, and it's going to be full of the stuff I like. And what would I like? A big, big table with lots and lots of food. That's what I would like. I would love that, a yard to play football, unless you don't like football. And then that's not there. And you know, we, we just started grabbing and kind of filling in, and some of it's maybe based on the Bible, and maybe some of it's not. So I'm going to begin, not just with disclaimers and apologies, I'm going to begin with the world's best cop-out on this question. But John and Paul are the ones who allow me to, to kind of cop out on this question. This is John, 1 John, right near the end of the Bible, chapter 3. John writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Now, here's the, here's the sentence. Dear friends, now... In this world, in space and time, who we are now, now we are children of God and what we will be someday in heaven, out of space and time. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John says, look, this is what we know. We know what it's like to live for God now in this world. We know what it looks like for, for Christ and His Spirit to be in us. We know what that experience is. We don't exactly know what's coming next. What we will be like, what our experience will be like, we don't fully know that. Right? Now, this is, this is one of the closest disciples of Jesus. This is the one who writes the book of the Revelation. He sees into heaven. As a matter of fact, it's a pretty good argument. He wrote Revelation before he wrote this book. And he's still saying, mm-hmm. And I was there. I know I was there. And we still don't know a lot about there. There's a lot of mystery with there. We, we know we're going to be like Christ. And that's going to be incredible. We, there's still a lot we don't know. Paul agrees with John in 1 Corinthians 13. I am going to try to answer the question, but just setting us up. 1 Corinthians 13, right at the end, For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then, when we get to heaven, when all things are culminated, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So again, Paul agrees with John. We just, there's a lot we don't know. We know a lot about now. We don't know everything about the future. It's, it's like looking through a, an opaque window or uh, some translations say a, a, a dim mirror. Like it's, it's, it, we see some shadows. We, we get some of it. A lot of it we don't get. A lot of it we don't understand. And when we talk about the afterlife, we've got to be okay with that. We, we, we have to admit there's mystery. There's things we don't know. And it's fine to, to read the Bible, to talk to other Christians, it's fine to say, I think it's going to be like this, or my opinion is, or based on what I've read in the Bible, I think it's going to be like this, which is different from saying categorically it's going to be exactly like this. I know, because John and Paul say you don't know. You don't know. And that's okay, because we can trust God. Now, the, 
the positive of what we find from John and Paul and other places is that in heaven, we will have greater knowledge and understanding. Paul says, I'm going to see clearly. I don't see clearly now. It's kind of dim. Holy Spirit said some things to me. Jesus, you know, some things that he said that the disciples told me about. Kind of have some ideas. I don't know, but one day I'm going to know. I'm going to understand. I'm going to get clarity. I'm going to stand in the presence of God, and we're going to know what is promised to us when it comes to heaven is that there is coming a day we're just going to know. We're going to know, and if we could hold loosely the things that we don't know yet, but confidently that one day God is going to reveal those things to us, what a great way to live. God, I, I trust you because here's what I know about heaven and the afterlife. God can be trusted to do what's good in the next life. Not only are you going to know, but this is in some ways a test of faith. Like, do, I, do I believe that God has good planned for us in eternity? Because you can trust him for that. I, I think I've said this before. Nobody's going to get to heaven and be disappointed. Like you're, you're not walking into the presence of God and going, man, this, is, this isn't what I thought it'd be. No, nobody's giving one-star Google reviews to heaven. Not happening. Not, not happening. And nobody's disappointed. Nobody's thinking, I, I thought it'd be more, but I thought it'd be better than this. God, is this all you could come up with? You can trust that the God who loved you enough to send his son to redeem you and bring you into his family has good things in store for your future. I think it, it, it will help to keep in mind what God is doing, like God's plan for us and for all things. Here's God's plan. God is determined to make right what has gone wrong in the world. This is God's plan and mission as we are getting closer to heaven. God, God is determined that he's going to take everything that's gone wrong, sin that impacted the world, that is decaying the world, things that are broken, relationships that are broken, diseases that we deal with because this world is broken, natural disasters that we deal with because this world is broken, loss, hurt, death, all of those things, God is on a mission and will undo all of those things and make them right. Everything that's wrong is going to be rewound, it's going to be redone, it's going to be made Right, God is in the process of doing that so that when we step into the next life, when we step into eternity, we are stepping into a place where all is right. All is the way it should be. All is the way it was intended to be. Paul says at one point that even creation is groaning. Right? He's sort of personifying the natural order giving it this emotion, this longing to, to break out of this sin-corrupted world and be the way God intended all things to be. When we get to heaven, it will ultimately and finally be done. God will do away with what is wrong. God will do away with what is broken and will replace it with what is good and what is right. Now, that has impact on now. Whenever we think about heaven, we, get, we have to remember 
Our, our beliefs about heaven have to impact the now. If God is in the process of renewing all things and redeeming all things and setting all things right, then when we come to faith in Christ, we join that process. Now, we don't wait till heaven. We join the process of bringing justice to this world. What did Jesus pray at the Lord's Prayer? Right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not when we get to heaven. I want heaven to break into earth, is what Jesus was saying. When we align ourselves through faith in Christ with God's kingdom, then we join this effort right now that's going to be completed in eternity of setting this world right, a place of justice, a place of peace, a place of hope, a place of love. We step into that process now that God is going to ultimately finish once and for all when we step into heaven. Now, press pause for just one second, get to a second question. Here's a question that was asked. When we die... Is there a spirit life before the resurrection or are we just asleep until the resurrection? When we die, that, that time between death and God making all things right, Christ's return, setting up his kingdom fully and finally, what happens to us? Do, do we not know we're dead? We're, we're just kind of comatose. This is a, um, a very popular question. This question gets asked a lot. It's a great question. Let's, let's kind of peel it back for just a second. One of the issues in, in answering this question is that we have to realize, um, not, not to get like Marvel multiverse on you, but we, we have to realize that we're, we're really working in two dimensions when we talk about this life and the next life. This life, that God created us to exist in space and time chronologically. We experience our life according to space and time chronologically. Eternity is outside of space and time. So when we're talking about that moment when we step from space and time to not space and time, there's just a lot we don't know about that, right? Dr. Strange hadn't solved all that for us just yet. Like there's a lot we don't know about that transition, but we can answer some of it from Scripture. For example, think about the thief on the cross. Uh, Jesus is crucified between two thieves. One is mocking him. One defends him. And, and the one that's defending him turns to Jesus and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And some of you know what Jesus said. Jesus said, Today. I tell you, today. You will be with me in paradise. He didn't say look, you're going to sleep for, I don't know, like 5,000 years, and then you're going to wake up and we're going to be together again. He, di he didn't say that. He didn't say, you're going to go to this holding room and you're going to hang out there. There's going to be purgatory. You're going to be there for a while. And then, don't worry, you'll eventually get out of there. Jesus said today, you're going to take your last breath on this cross and the next breath you take is going to be with me in heaven. No in-between. No, 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 one day I'm going to get there. No press pause. Paul gives a, another example. Um, uh, Paul loves mixing up metaphors and kind of running like four different ways all at the same time. It can be hard to follow. He does that a little bit here in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says, we are confident, I say, and, prefer, and would prefer to be away from the body 
and at home with the Lord. Sort of the metaphor he's been building is, in this life, we're at home in our body. Our home is in our bodies, which he calls a tent because it's, it's temporary. We are at home in our bodies right now. One day we're going to be at home in the presence of God. We would rather be away from this body. And guess what happens when we're away from this body? We're immediately with the Lord. We're immediately in our home in the next life. Again, no sleep, no coma, no hanging out. Uses a familiar language in Philippians chapter 1. Paul's in prison. And it's kind of 50-50 whether he's going to make it out. Paul writes, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Right? This imprisonment is going to end in one of two ways. He's going to be set free and he's going to be at home in his body on the earth or he's going to be executed, at which point he will be at home with Christ. And Paul says, I'd, I'd rather get out of this body and go be with Christ. Paul never says, there's, there's, there's three options. I could stay here, I could go be with Jesus, or I could just go to sleep for a while. He doesn't say that. There's, there's no soul sleep. There's no in-between time we leave this life if we know christ we leave this life we immediately step into the presence of jesus no soul sleep now i hope there's naps in heaven because i'm a big nap fan but there's no intermediate nap between this life and the next life paul said it others have said it jesus said it from the cross you're either at home here on this earth or if you're a believer you are at home in the presence of of Jesus. Well, what would that experience be like if you are at home with Jesus? If you if you are there, what will that be like? And it's difficult to describe physically, and here's why I say that. Apocalyptic uh, apocalyptic literature by its nature, including that in the Bible, is very symbolic. It's very metaphor metaphorical. Lots of similes and symbolism. And this is like that, and this is like that, and that's like that. And uh, apocalyptic literature, whether it's about heaven or, or even some, uh, what's written about the end times, it's hard to know, is this literal or is this symbolic? And, and, and I know that a lot of people say, I, I read the Bible literally. Okay, but not all the Bible was written literal, to be understood literally. Some of it's written to be understood symbolically. Some of it's written to be understood metaphorically. Revelation chapter 21, well-known passage. John gives descriptions of walls and golden streets. Right? We're familiar with that. We write songs about that. Golden streets in heaven. Is that literal? Or is that, is that John's way of saying, this place is so beautiful... That the thing you treasure the most on earth, the thing that you think is the most beautiful, it's worthy of paving streets with up here. What I'm seeing is so incredible that take the most valuable thing on earth and they would fill potholes with it up here. 
because this place is so unbelievably beautiful. I'm fine with streets of gold when I get there. I'd be happy with that. But I'd be happy if it was more beautiful than that too. I, I, I'd be happy if John just ran out of words and, and ran out of ways to convey it. See, this is the struggle we deal with with apocalyptic literature is this, is this talking specifically, literally about something or is this just trying to say, you're not going to be disappointed here. You want to get here. Like you want to live your life in such a way that you end up here because this place is absolutely incredible. So, so I, I don't want to talk about the physical nature as much as what we're going to experience. This is from that passage, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is from Isaiah, right? He's quoting Isaiah. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Even that is metaphorical, right? John is exiled, exiled on an island. What does sea represent to John? Sea represents being disconnected from everybody he loves and cares about. And John says, that ain't going to happen in heaven. Not going to happen. There is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What will heaven be like? Heaven is the presence of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Heaven is, is where God is. John says God is going to dwell with his people. He's going to be there. His presence, his power is going to be there. What is not heaven? Wherever the presence of God is not. Wherever the presence of God is fully, this is heaven. And we, we experience, don't we, little breakthroughs of that. Remember, I said heaven's kind of crashing into earth all of the time. We experience little breakthroughs of that as we, as we worship God, don't we? Because we sense his presence here. We sense him moving. We sense his power. When we, when we sing, Jehovah, you're our banner. You're, our, you're the one who fights our battles. You're our redeemer. Like when we sing that sort of language, we're experiencing a little bit of what we're going to experience fully when we get to heaven because we're going to experience the presence of God fully, completely, totally, something else. In heaven, and we talked about this, in heaven, John says, we'll be free from the results of sin. Remember, God is, God is undoing all that is wrong and replacing it with right. When we get to heaven, we're not going to experience the consequences of that brokenness anymore. John said it like this. There's no more tears. There's no more death. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. And he uses that phrase, the old order has been passed away. We used to, In this world, we feel all of that, don't we? You, some of you feel it this morning. You feel brokenness, estrangement. Life isn't going the way you thought that it would go. There, there is hurt and brokenness, not just in your past, but crashing into your present right now. You know it's going to be in your future. 
John so beautifully says, you're going to step into heaven, all that's going to be gone. I, I, I know the know the burden of where you live right now. This is what God has promised to those who love and trust Jesus. It's going to be over. It's going to be over. This isn't, this isn't Pollyanna pie-in-the-sky hopes. This is what the Word of God has told us. It will step into the presence, and there will be no more tears, and no more pain, and no more sorrow, and no more brokenness. We won't lose anybody ever again. We will not be estranged from other people ever again. Another thought. In heaven, we'll be at rest. Rest is a synonym for heaven that gets used several places in the New Testament. Heaven will be at rest. It particularly gets used often in the book of Hebrews. Here's just one example from Hebrews 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging people, continue to follow Jesus. Don't fall away. Don't give up. Come on, let's get all the way to what He calls rest. Anybody... Anybody busy over the last seven days? Anybody? Anybody stressed out over the last seven years? Uh -huh. Anybody feel like their life is this constant trying to keep up and measure up and make it and outdo and live up to and try to achieve and grab? The writer of Hebrews says, guess what? That's the experience in this life. We're going to be done with that one day. There's not going to be striving in heaven. We're not going to be trying to keep up. We're going to be, not going to be trying to measure up. We're not going to be stressed out. We're going to enter into this glorious place, and there's going to be rest. There's going to be soul-satisfying rest. We're here. We're not striving anymore. We're not running anymore. Another characteristic of heaven. In heaven, we'll know each other. We're going to know each other in heaven, right? Some of you think that's a good thing. Some of you are thinking, ah, it's a couple of people. I hope they don't recognize me. Right? So we're, we're going to know each other. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to have relationships, friendships. Um, John's looking out over heaven at one point and he says, you know, there was, there was every tongue and tribe and race. In other words, our, our uniqueness was seen and celebrated in heaven as the gift that it is from God. We didn't all look the same when John looked out over heaven. We weren't this monolith, like this one thing. We all looked the same. No, John said, no, there's, there's tribes and tongues and and, and different races and, and people because, because that's part of God's good gift to us is our uniqueness. And we're going to have that when we get to heaven. We're going to recognize that when we get to heaven. We're going to celebrate that when we get to heaven. Jesus tells a parable about two people who die, and in the afterlife, they recognize each other. It's a, it's a parable. I get it. It's a made-up story, but Jesus isn't going to tell us a complete lie in a made-up story, right? When we step into the afterlife, we're going to recognize each other, our uniqueness, our, our distinctives. 
They're still going to be true of us. I cannot answer the question of whether you're going to be your 20-year-old self or your 80-year-old self. Okay, I can't. Barbara didn't tell us that. I don't know. I don't know how that's how that's. I don't know if we get to pick. Like this was me and my best God. Like stick me right there. Like we all have that. This is totally unrelated. We all have that image of ourselves at a certain point in our life. Like surveys say, it's, it's typically like early 20s. Like we still see ourselves as that person. Maybe God just gives us that. Like you thought you were that all your, long, all, all your whole life. Everybody knew you weren't, but you thought you were. So, hey, all eternity, you get to be 21. Right? I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work out. But we're going to recognize each other. We're going to know each other. We're going to see each other uh, real quickly because we've got to get to waffles. Um, in heaven, in heaven there'll be worship. I don't, I don't think that's news to anybody. There'll be worship. Revelation 19, after this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Right? Like what, what we do on Sunday mornings, and the band's here and we're singing, this is practice, what you're going to be doing and he turns, it's not the only thing you're going to be doing. But you and I are going to step into the presence of God. And maybe you can keep it in down here. You're not going to be able to keep it in up there. So you might as well let it out down here. You might as well just get used to it. So you're not shocked when you get up there. Where did that come from? Right? Just go ahead. Let it out. Sing. Clap. Worship. Raise your hands right here. Right now. Because it's coming out when you get to heaven. John said there was a roar. Like people were going crazy. It's this unbelievable sense of worship. And what you have to remember is right now, we are worshiping the same God on the same throne that John saw, the one that's in heaven. We are, when you sing, I know, you, I know we don't see him the way John saw him. I know it's not a literal physical God and throne right in front. I understand all of that, but we are singing to worshiping that same God when we gather on Sunday morning what you're going to do in heaven and another aspect in heaven we're i believe we're going to have satisfying work we're going to have satisfying responsibilities again it's not going to be just one one big worship service everything will be worship but i believe we're going to have satisfying fulfilling work of some sort God is setting all things right. Well, in Genesis, he established the world as he wanted it. And before sin, he gives Adam and Eve responsibility. He gives them fulfilling work, fulfilling responsibilities. The Bible tells us there's not just a heaven, but one day there's just going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Like This place is going to be remade in its perfect form. And we're going to populate this world. And I think just like in Genesis chapter 1, when God gave fulfilling work to Adam and Eve, he's going to give fulfilling responsibilities to us. Fulfilling, right? And, and, and think, what it will be like to work at your full potential without all of the hindrances of the brokenness of this world. To see your full capabilities, to be able to work and be rewarded fully for that work instead of the frustration that comes with work down here right you you feel it you feel it at your job there's things that don't go right there's things that don't work right computers crash and and people are hard to deal with 
One day, God's going to hand us fulfilling, satisfying responsibilities, and we're not going to have that barrier of the brokenness of sin. We're just going to get to enjoy the full potential of how God has made us. i got to do this really quick, and that's not fair to whoever turned in this question, but I'm going to do it real quick anyway. I told you, see, I started writing, and I talked too much and had to cut out questions, and now I start talking, and I'm going to have to start cutting questions. You don't care. Um, <laughs> if heaven is such a wonderful place, how do you get there? How do you get it? Here's the, here's the question that was asked. Great question. Great, insightful question. How does God feel about people of other faiths? We've all probably thought this at some point. How does God feel about people of other faiths? If one is a Buddhist, Muslim, etc., at the time of their death, does that mean they do not go to heaven? Or is there, there a level of God in every religion? Great question. Um, we could take a whole message. We could take a whole series on that question. I got like 45 seconds. Um, let me take it in pieces. How does God feel about people of other faiths? He loves them. With, with, with the same immense love that he feels for you. He loves every, every person who comes to life in this world is made in the image of God. Every Buddhist, every Hindu, every Muslim, every atheist. Created in the image of God, someone that God sent his son to die for, to redeem. How does he feel about them? He loves them. He loves them. He's paid the price so that, so that they could spend eternity in heaven. What about this part of the question? Is there a level of God in every religion? And that's kind of a hard one to decipher exactly what we're going for. Let me answer it like this. There is truth in every religion. Right? There's nothing about our faith that requires us to say that other religions are completely wrong about everything. There, there are Most Muslims that you meet are very moral people very moral they prioritize prayer most other religions have some concept of eternity or an afterlife most other religions have some concept of a deity a god <clears throat> they worship a god so is there truth is there is there aspects of truth in other religions most of them yes yes ab absolutely we don't have to say every other religion is completely wrong about everything we share some things in common with other faiths. But, but if, if the question is, <clears throat> what happens to that person or any person? When they die, Jesus is better at answering that than me. Thomas asked that question. <clears throat> it's the night that Jesus is betrayed and he says, I'm going away. And I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to die. But, but I'm going away to prepare a place for you, heaven. <clears throat> and Jesus says, you know the way. Thomas, Thomas goes, don't know the way. Sorry. Appreciate you overestimating my abilities, but uh, mm -mm, don't know the way. And so Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. <clears throat> 
No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, this is the answer. This room knows that Jesus gave. Jesus is the way. Through his sacrifice, through his death, through his resurrection. Does that mean everybody else is wrong about everything they believe? No. But the way to heaven is through Christ. Is in believing that Jesus is God's son who lived a perfect sinless life died in our place, and rose again. And believing that that counts for our righteousness, that when we enter into heaven, we don't enter based on our own works, our own deeds. We don't have to account for everything we did wrong. Jesus took all of that, and Jesus gave us his righteousness. That faith is the way to heaven. What does God do for the person that never hears that? I don't know, but you heard it. You heard it. You know it. You've heard it a hundred times before. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. How does he feel about other people of other religions? He loves them. He desperately wants them to come to know faith, to to come to know Christ. Which leads to two questions. Have you... Sitting here this morning, have you surrendered your life over to Christ? He's the way. All of this awaits anyone who has put their faith in Christ. Have you done that? Have you committed your life to Him? If not, just like these three demonstrated through baptism, do it today. Give your life to Christ today. Trust Him by faith today. And second question. Are you doing all that you can to see that others come to know him? To to see that others come to faith. If you're concerned about people of other religions, have you shared your faith with them? Have you opened the door to relationship with them? Have you loved them in the way that Jesus would love them if he were here? So that maybe you get the opportunity to share with them what Christ means to you. Like who, who is there in your life? What neighbor, what What family member that you aren't sure knows Jesus? Are you praying for them? Are you praying for them? Listen, heaven is heaven is going to be beyond our imagination, but it's it's not just a place to study and talk about. It's a place you need to go. It's a place you need to make sure you are headed towards when you leave this world would you bow your heads and close your eyes and the band's going to come back and they're going to lead us in a, in a worship song